0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for being here today. My name is Pastor Ryan. Uh, before we start, uh, since it's Memorial Day weekend, let's start with a prayer, okay? <clears throat> Father, today we, we 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 remember all those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and service to this great country. We honor their courage and are thankful that because of them we live in a free country. We also give thanks for the bravery of the men and women who have served and who continue to serve this nation. And in a world that is still torn and broken, we declare that Jesus is Lord. We declare that because of him, hope overcomes despair, joy overcomes sorrow, peace overcomes hostility, and that love overcomes hate. Father, we pray that the name of Jesus Christ be made great and that all people may come to know and love him. In his name we pray, amen. 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 All right. So good evening or good evening. Good morning. I apologize. <laughs> Coffee hasn't kicked in yet. So all right. So this morning we're going to be studying one of the more well-known stories about Jesus. It's, it's a story where people grab stones and they're about to stone a woman who is caught in adultery. And Jesus says the famous words, whoever is without sin may what? cast the first stone. So you've heard that story. All right. But like all things that Jesus does, there's so much more to the story, all the little bits. And that's the stuff that we're going to get into today because that's why the story is in the Bible. It's fantastic. So let's learn from it. We're going to start off in John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, go there, John 7. We're going to start at verse 53 and then I thought the teaching just go right into chapter 8. Okay. So John uh, 53, we're going to go into 8, chapter 8, verse 2. And this is what it says. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So what happened in this verse is that Jesus, the day before what we're going to talk about, Jesus was in the temple teaching the people. And while he was teaching the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they they tried to trap him in an argument. And their goal was to get him arrested, right? And there were guards actually there considering arresting him. But they didn't do it because the people loved Jesus. And so their whole plan just fell apart. And so that's the end of the day. Everybody goes home. And now the next day, Jesus comes back first thing in the morning. He's right back where he was the day before. He begins to teach. And all these people start to gather around him again. So while he's, so while he's teaching, this event starts to unfold, All right, and the reason that Jesus keeps going there is he wants people to know God. He wants them to have a right relationship. He wants them to understand the law. And so he goes in on the ins and outs of it and explains all the details, right? And I want you to keep that in mind because that's Jesus' motive. And then the religious leaders on the other side, we're gonna go into the story and you're gonna see their motive and how different it is. So let's start with John chapter eight, verses three to five. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? I want to pause here for a moment and look at this event because it's actually, it's a really big deal. Verse three tells us the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they actually, they caught her in the act. They caught her and then they drag her out in front of a very large crowd. They put her right at the front of Jesus, right? Right there. And a loud voice, they say, we caught her. The law says stone her to death. Everybody's already got stones in their hands, man. They are ready to go. They say, Jesus, what do you say we should do? What do you say? Right? Now, in a way, if you think about it, that may sound like a good question, but it's actually anything but that. What they're doing is this whole thing is a setup. They're trying, they're using this woman to try to nab Jesus. And this event was actually probably planned to a degree. They had things kind of set out. There are people that would catch her, and there's other people over here ready to accuse Jesus. This whole thing is really dishonest considering it was the religious leaders that were behind it. So let me explain. This woman, we don't really know anything about her. Maybe she was a prostitute. Maybe she was just simply having an adulterous affair. But according to the law, if you're caught, you're guilty, you're brought before a tribunal. There's a trial. There's two witnesses. They give the evidence. And if found guilty, the person would be executed, stoned to death. Now here's the problem with the events in the story. The woman was found in the act. So that means someone knew where to find her. Someone knew she was having an affair. Someone knew approximately where she would be and what time. And then they knew to jump out at the right time. And instead, instead, of, instead of trying to prevent it from happening, counseling her and the man, because remember there's two. Instead of trying to prevent that, they let it happen for the sole purpose of being able to grab her, bring her out publicly, and in front of Jesus, accuse her, and try to trick him. Now, Again, what would normally happen in this scenario, say it was found out, she would be accused, she'd probably be put in jail, and held until there was a trial. It would have been private. It would have been dealt with by the religious authorities. That's how they did things. There'd be no reason to do it in a public square. There'd be no reason to put her in front of Jesus, a man they did not trust, they thought he was a false teacher anyway. Why bring him into it? Why bring her to it? Because they want to try to trap him somehow. So this is nothing more than a huge abuse of power. This event was planned to a degree to uh, um, embarrass Jesus and to try to discredit him in front of the people. So now the story goes, the woman, she's dragged out there, put at his feet, and as she's laying there knowing full well she's about to die by people th- repeatedly throwing stones at her, The Pharisees turn to Jesus. They say, what do you say? The law says she needs to die. This is a provocative question, but it's also asked with a lot of malice. But the truth is, if you think about it, no matter what Jesus says, there's no good answer. Let me explain. If the woman's caught in the act, punishment is clear, right? She needs to be stoned. It's obvious. She needs to be stoned. But the religious leaders also know Jesus hangs out with sinners, He hangs out with prostitutes, thieves, liars, Samaritans, right? Samaritans and Jews, they had an awful habit of burning down each other's places of worship. They were true enemies. Jesus talked with them. He ate with them. He made no distinction between sinners and regular people. He taught about repentance and forgiveness, right? They also knew Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He'd already done that. So they know there's a chance he may let this woman get off somehow not follow the letter of the law as they understood it. He may let a guilty person go free. And we caught her. We know she's guilty, right? And if he does that, we got him. On the other hand, if he says, execute her, he's going to come across harsh and forgiving. He's going to look at like a flip-flopper because here on one day he's talking about forgiveness and repentance, another day stone her. He's going to, they're going to try to hurt his opinion, the people's opinion of him. They're going to try to get him either way. And, and to make matters worse, they do it in front of everybody and they don't give any time. Answer us now. She's right here. We already got stones in our hand. What do you say? To waver either way, to delay would show him to be weak. And let's be honest, that's actually a pretty good plan, is it not? They set things up pretty well. They thought about this. The average person would get really, I would get nervous. I'd be like, oh, right? And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to trick, trick him. Now, there's another time, believe it or not, they tried this before, where they tried to put Jesus in a situation where there's no good answer, where they had him either way. And the event I'm talking about is actually in Mark uh, chapter 12, where they uh, try to get him on the question of paying taxes, right? On the, on, on the surface, it seems like a really good question. Do we pay taxes or do we not? But you have to remember back then, that was a really hot button issue. Jesus and all the religious leaders, the people, they were Jews. And in 63 BC, General Pompey came through and he took over the whole city. The Jews, they were taken over by the Romans. And the Romans made them pay taxes. So if you willingly paid taxes to Rome, you kind of supported them in a way. If you didn't fight enough, you were seen as a traitor to your people. So that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to trick Jesus into into, um, siding with him. So when they say, what do, do we do? Do we pay taxes or not? And they would have made sure lots of people around. Here's the other thing they did that was smart. They would have made sure there were Roman soldiers nearby to hear his response. If Jesus said, don't pay the tax, he'd be an insurrectionist. He'd be a problem. The Roman soldiers would then get to deal with him. They wouldn't have to worry about it. they problem probably be taken care of. So let's see how this plays out. It's in Mark 12, 14 to 17. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They're lying to him. They're totally buttering him up. That's what they're doing. They say, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me the Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. Now, Jesus' answer is particularly good. Number one, because he keeps the focus on God at all times. That's what he's here for. We belong to God's. We should give him what's belongs to him. The second thing Jesus does, he doesn't taint his message or his purpose with pay tax or no pay tax. What he's really saying, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with why I'm here. We belong to God. Now he's also saying, listen, there's always going to be human debates. We're going to have our thing. I know people that say, Jesus is a Republican. Jesus is a Democrat. He would never. And I know people that are are like going back and forth. But what would Jesus say? Give to God what's God. Jesus is neither. He's he's above that, right? And that's what he was saying with this tax issue. It doesn't matter. Pay your tax, don't pay your tax. Give to God what's God's. And so the same thing's happening in our story for today. They're trying to trap him in what they think is a no-win situation for him. So let's go back to John chapter eight, verse six. This is where it really gets good. Verse six, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. (laughs) His response is really, really interesting. He basically pretends to not even hear them. We know he he heard them, but he doesn't give them an inch. He ignores it. He doesn't give them the time of day. He simply bends over, and he starts to write on the ground. He doesn't even answer them. He doesn't acknowledge them. And there's a mob there, holding rocks, ready to stone this woman. Ah. And he just starts riding in the ground. He just sucks all the air out of there. Just, and I would imagine it would have been dead quiet, dead quiet. The Pharisees—they made this huge scene. They were. This was awesome. We got him. Would have been a spectacle. He doesn't even respond. And here's a good question. The Bible doesn't tell us, what was he writing? These people are driving me crazy, right? Some people think, and we don't know, maybe he, maybe he started to write the Pharisees' names and the sin they committed. And they're standing there close by and they can see that. I don't know. Maybe he rewrote the Ten Commandments, all the sin. We don't know. But in truth, he's showing who's really in charge. He doesn't answer to them. They don't get to dictate what he does or what he says. He's not going to get riled up. The other thing that some of the scholars think is when Jesus knelt down, he did it to get eye level with that woman. The whole crowd is out to kill her. She was her own people, her own town. Gonna stone her to death. And they're egging it on. So, by Jesus ignoring him and placing himself eye level, he was showing her that he cared for her. He wasn't gonna take the bait, he was gonna write a new ending to this story on his terms. And that's a beautiful point because that really is how God responds to sinners. We are all sinners, every one of us. We've done things, we've broken the law. And there's two ways God can respond to us. Number one, from as a distant, angry God with punishment and vengeance, a lot like the Pharisees are doing that day. Or he can respond as a loving God, as, as a loving parent who's concerned that we're lost and he wants to help us, to save us. And that's what's unfolding here. That's what Jesus is doing. Instead of condemning her, he ignores the world and people chanting, Stoner, stoner. He blocks it all out and he meets her where she is. And that's really telling about this situation. It would, the other thing is, it doesn't tell us how long he's down there. My guess, it was quite a while. This wasn't a quick up and down. In fact, we, prob- we know he probably stayed down there for at least a little while because it was long enough that the religious leaders started to get anxious. They were losing control of the situation. And we can tell this because if you look at verse seven, it says, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up. They were, he was down long enough, they knew they were losing control. And so they kept asking and kept asking and kept asking. And finally he stands up. And he was in no hurry. And he said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Notice he uses the word sin. He doesn't say adultery. This isn't about adultery. This is about sin. Sin. We all have sin. There's lots of different ways it's sin. But notice he doesn't give an inch either way. He doesn't appear weak. He doesn't appear hardline. In truth, his answer, let's be honest, it baffles everybody. Nobody has a response. All the excitement, all the adrenaline just sucked out of the air. What Jesus did was very succinctly remind everyone that we have, every one of us has sin, Every one of us, and justice must be passed fairly. And it wasn't though the woman hadn't sinned, she had, but they were all guilty of sin, every one of them. And in this scenario, they were all too eager to unleash stones upon her, without even considering the fact that maybe she would repent, maybe she was sorry, maybe she would turn over a new leaf but they were guilty as well of sin. They never even considered their own sin. Worst off, the religious leaders, uh, the ones that orchestrated this whole event, they're the ones that should be helping people. They're the ones that should be there for people. They could have been a force for good, but they orchestrated that and they used her as a pawn to try to take down Jesus. What Jesus wanted them to know is that we all sin. We all stumble, but we should be there for each other to help each other. We're to do it with love in our heart. For example, if I go astray, if I have an affair, if I get into drugs or alcohol or gambling, whatever, Pastor Craig, Pastor Joey should be there for me to help me. But they do it with love in their hearts. I sin too. I have my own stuff I'm working with. Let me be there to help you. They could drag me right in front of the congregation, everybody here and say, look what he did. Get him. Right? They could. That's what they were doing. But they could also do it privately off the side. Say, we love you. We care about you. You can do better. And we're going to help you. By the way, we are no better. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. Through him, we have hope. We can be forgiven. Getting past sin, overcoming it, is a victory. It's a joy. And as a church, we can be there for each other. And that's what Jesus wanted from this crowd. And Jesus knew what was in the Pharisees' hearts. He could see right through them. And here's the thing. Just when he had, let's be honest, when he had them right where he wanted, I mean, they were getting nervous. They're trying to get control of the situation again. He could have just really went and did a zinger and just knocked them out, right? But he doesn't do that. He's not out for revenge. It's almost if he's using the situation to reach them just as much as the woman. So what does he do? Verse 8 and 9. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. So he says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And then he goes right back down and starts writing. He, he just leaves that big nugget in the air. Just, just hang in there. Go ahead. And at this, those who heard, it began to go away one at a time. The older ones First. So only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, notice he could have easily, he could have, you know, he's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He could have been like this. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Hmm? Hmm? That Messiah, you know, I don't, he did, I don't know if he had laser beams, but he had something. He didn't want a physical confrontation. He wanted a change of heart. But they had to see that and make their own decision. So he stoops down again. He starts to write. And he stays down there to prove a point. The discussion's over. Fear without sin, go ahead. He, this is a part the, that I, I, I don't, that's, when I first read this, I'm like, what? If I was there? He gives them the chance to make their own choice. Still holding rocks in their hands. You imagine if you were that woman? <gasps> don't give them the chance. Like, you might, like this is a mob Grab your pitchforks! Burn the witch. That's what this was. Remember that, uh, that show, the movie Shrek. Grab your pitchforks, right? That's a, that's what they were doing. And this was religious anger, right? That's the worst kind. God says we can do this. Kill her. He commanded it. He, and then Jesus, he let them decide for themselves. <sighs> if that was you, and there was an angry mob around you holding rocks would you want the angry mob to decide for themselves if they should show up? No! No, not them! But that's what he did. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he risk that? Well, for one, he's the Messiah. He can see into their hearts. He's never wrong. And he came there to teach the religious leaders, the people holding rocks, just as much as he came for the woman. And so he says, whoever is without sin, go ahead. And each minute goes by, that poor woman was just sitting there. Waiting. She didn't know what was going to We know how the story goes, right? We know how it ends. She didn't. Can you imagine what that would have been like? She's just sitting there looking at Jesus. I can't imagine she was looking around going like... She just, so if you would, close your eyes for a moment and just imagine that is you. He gives everybody the opportunity to make their own decisions. So close your eyes for a moment. And this is what it would have probably sounded like for her. One by one, the the older people first dropped their stones and slowly walked away. And this didn't, it wasn't like you guys exiting at the end of church when like two minutes everybody's out. This would have taken a little longer. There's a lot of people. And she just sat there, rock after rock, until it was just her and Jesus. The religious leaders dropped their rocks. Everyone comes to the realization they have sinned. On their own, they came to that realization. Sure, they may not have committed adultery, but they sinned. They had been dishonest at some point in their lives, they may have lied, they may have cheated their boss, stole a little extra fruit at the market, you know, just kind of tuck it under and walk away. Maybe they looked at another person in lust, because this same Jesus has also said that's the same thing as doing it for real. But the point is, Jesus brought them face to face with their own sin, where they couldn't ignore it. You know, there's this common myth, and I see this a lot, and I have a lot of conversations with people at work. There's this idea... And I've said this before, that, that, that Jesus is this real nice, mellow, hippie kind of guy. Like, hey, you're okay. I love everybody. It's fine. There's no worries. I got this, right? Kind of laugh, but you know kind of where I'm coming from with that. That is absolutely 100% false. Jesus came specifically talking about sin. You, every one of you, me, I sin. But we must repent first and be baptized. He said, own it, repent He even said, listen, if you bring an offering into church, like if you bring something in here and you have something against your brother, your sister, your neighbor, Jesus said, just drop it. Drop it right there. Leave it. Drop it like that stone. Go. Make it right. Own up for what you did. Ask for forgiveness. If they they sinned against you, forgive them, love them. Repair that relationship. Love like God loves. Then come back and give your gift. Until then, we don't want it. He meant that. He was all about change. He was an amazing guy, and it was beautiful. It would have been awesome to be around him, but at some points it would have been very difficult because he, you would have seen your own sin. You'd had to work on that. And so Jesus, as he dressed the crowd, everybody came face to face with their own sin. And now the last part of the story is also some of the last part that people like to forget, uh, to leave out. Let's read that now, um, verses 10 and 11. It says, Jesus then straightened up and he asked her, he said, woman, where, where did they go? Where is everybody? Has nobody condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. So here's the, here's the interesting thing. Jesus was still down there. He stands up, and then he asked her, has no one condemned you? Where did they go? Like, his eyes are still working, right? He can see nobody's there. So why ask her that question? Why ask her the obvious? It's because he wants her to know that no matter what, she can still see him face to face and talk to him. He wants a relationship with her. It was just like in John chapter four where Jesus talks to the woman at the well. Right? She was a Samaritan. She'd had, what, five husbands and now living with another person? And she was a Samaritan. Ooh, Jews and Samaritans did not like each other at all. They don't like each other so much. Uh, I, I actually found a reference in the 1800s. In the 1800s, a rabbi wrote, it's, it's better to eat pork than Samaritan bread. 1,800 years after Jesus. Yeah. They still have that enmity between them. Or at least this guy did. The point is, she's a a Samaritan. She's at the well. Jesus is talking to her. He had plenty of followers. He even had women followers at that point. He could have had any one of them go talk to her. But he didn't do that. He went himself and talked to her face to face. As the Messiah, he took time to meet her where she was, to talk with him. And in this case, with this woman who was about to get stoned, he asked her a question he already knew the answer to simply to open up the conversation to address her face-to-face so she could talk to him. He was conveying that she was worthy of speaking to him. And this was something that Jesus got criticized for a number of times, a number of times. On another uh, in- incident, the religious leaders really went after Jesus because he would sit face-to-face. He would go in their sinner's homes and he would eat with them, right? Ugh. In Mark chapter two, this is what he said. This is how he responded. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but who? The sinners. He stated very publicly, that's his sole mission. And let's be to reach the lost. And let's be honest, at that point, you couldn't get more lost than that poor woman. Everybody she knew in that town turned against her. But Like the, like the town of Sebastian, could you imagine if everybody in town grabbed stones, got around you and was chant, chanting, stone, I'm stone, and they were going to stone you to death. Your religious leaders were going to do it too. Could you imagine? How would that feel? Could you, could you feel more hopeless, more lost? It wasn't going to be quick, stoning to death, throwing rocks at you until you go unconscious, and then they keep doing it. It be a horrible way. But that was her fate. But in this scenario, she was valuable to Jesus. That's why he bent down and he talked to her. That's why he ignored the angry mob. He talked to her face to face. He, so he says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. He says, then neither do I condemn you, but leave your life of sin. He doesn't say adultery, does he? He says what? Sin. All of it. Leave all of it behind. A lot of people like to leave that little piece out. Like, oh, he doesn't condemn people. No, but he tells you to leave your life of sin. And it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. He just didn't call off an angry mob to go, hey, if you kind of get around to it sometime, that'd be great. What did he say? Leave your life of sin. but he meant it. He came across as a parent who loves his child, who wants her to do better. So everything about the story, this is what's so great, mirrors what Jesus came to do. It's his whole mission in a nutshell. The woman was clearly guilty of her own sin. She had done it. She was isolated from her people, had no hope, no one there to help her. You know, the wages of sin is death. Clearly in this point, Right. And that was her life before Jesus came. But then Jesus came into her life. He met her where she was, in the state that she was in, and he gave her hope. He brought change. And he, ta- he taught her that no matter what you've done, you have hope. I can be there for you. And the best part is, this is the best part, she didn't have to be holy first. She didn't have to admit her sin first, did she? He said there's a better way. Jesus intentionally sought out sinners, people that are lost, way lost. And he does that to everybody here. And then he calls you out of that life. And in John 10, chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says something that's really amazing and it's so much more powerful when you're in the state that this woman is in. This is what he says, John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and what? have it to the full. And he didn't, he didn't say that about people that are holy and already have it together. He meant about someone who's what? Lost, has no hope. That she may have life and have it to the full. That you may have life and have it to the full. So today, no matter where you are in your faith, no matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, you have hope because of Jesus Christ. You can leave your own old sinful ways behind and you can start new. So this morning, if, if you have not given your life over to Jesus Christ, if you have not invited him into your life, there's no better day today and there's no better time than now. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be sinless. You don't have to know how to do it. You just have to ask Jesus into your life. He came to save the lost. He came for every one of us. So if you'd like to give your life over to Jesus Christ, all you have to do is in a minute say this prayer with me. You can do it quietly, right where you're sitting. No one has to know it's between you and God. But you alone can make that choice. No one can do it for you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you raised him from the dead. Today, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Today, Father, I also ask for strength in tough times. I ask for faith to trust you when I can't see the road ahead. I want to trust. I want to lean on you above all things. I thank you for this life that I have. I thank you for the church. And most of all, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to save me. In his name I ask all these things. Amen.